0: I just need to let you guys know that this worship team, the guys upstairs, had to work extra hard today. Um, Woodhall lost power, and the technology in this place went crazy. And for some reason, the computer wasn't talking to the projector, and all kinds of glitches were going on. and, And I walk in here, and they're like, oh, everything's going bad. We don't know what's happening. And so, I don't know about you, but I thought they pulled that off really, really well today. So... So really good, really good worship there. But hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. My name is Jim. I'm the senior pastor. I'd like to welcome everybody. If you're a guest with us, thank you for joining us. If you're viewing online, thank you for watching today. I pray that you are blessed while you're at home. And if you're joining us for the first time, thank you for uh, joining us there online. And, and we just want to say thank you. And I'm telling you, it's just awesome to see each week a little bit more people coming back. And, and I was almost kind of scared that we were going to run out of communion because I keep kind of going on, hey, here's who's coming. And then all of a sudden, boom, we have, you know, seven more people show up. So it's good that I'm telling you, I was just kind of thinking about this. I can remember a year ago, man, 15 people in this place. And so it's good to see more people coming back. And it, it's, it's, it's good. So, hey, just a few announcements. Um, if you have any prayer requests, uh, continue to send those to Christy Foster, our admin assistant. And you can send those to her email address at uh, kfoster.com harvest at gmail.com and get those to her early in the week. She sends those out to Pastor Dusty and I, our prayer team, the elders... And we do pray for those. So, if you have anything going on in your life you want us to pray for, please get those to her. Uh, next Sunday we will be having a um, picnic at the Woodhall Park right after the service. Um, the church is going to be providing the hot dogs, the table service, things like that. So, bring a dish to pass. Um, I want to encourage those of you who have been at home. You're still not, you know, maybe you're still a little leery, leery about being in a here at church. Um, I would. Love to ask you, hey, come out. Be outside with us. And um, it, I think it's going to be a great time, you know, finally just having a, a gathering for the church together outside of Sunday morning. So uh, right after the church next Sunday, bring a, t- a dish to pass, and let's just enjoy the time and pray for good weather. Anybody other than me tired of rain? I mean, I want the rain of God, but, man, every other day, rain. We need some nice weather for next weekend. So. And then on the 13th, um, we are going to be back to full open. And so what that means is a mask will not be, uh, we will not ask you to wear a mask anymore. Social distancing, we won't be asking. Um, If you still want to wear a mask, feel free. Okay. Do not feel like, well, if I put a mask on, people are going to think I'm weird. No, we are not, okay? Um, whether you wear a mask or not, we're gonna love each other, all right? That's what it's about, loving each other. So if you still feel like I need to wear a mask, please feel free. If you feel like I don't feel like quite hugging people yet or don't hug, all right? Maintain social distancing. Um, but if you wanna come without a mask, don't feel, don't, don't wear a mask. Hug people as much as you want, all right? Get, get the hugging on. And so, get, get, do what? get weird. <laughs> Paula says get weird. So whatever that means, you can ask her. So, um, so, we, uh, so full open next week or on the 13th, and also on the 13th, we're planning a baptism. If you've never been baptized as a believer in Christ, I would encourage you to do that. Um, If you want to do that, there are baptism packets out in the foyer. I need those turned into me by next Sunday, okay? Um, So if you want to get baptized, please pick one up, fill it out, get it to me next Sunday, and then we can progress from there. And then um, on the last uh, Sunday of the month, we're going to have a membership class. If you'd like to become a member of Harvest, we haven't done one in over a year. Um, You can send me an email, jshannonharvest at gmail.com. And let me know. Say, hey, I'd like to sign up for the the, um, uh, membership class. And we will get you plugged in for that and get that going. Okay, other than that. Let's get ready to take our offering. Um, For those of you at home, you can still send those to our P.O. Box 597 here in Woodhall, or go online at harvestwoodhall.org. Click the online button and um, it'll take you there. For us here, um, we'll give as we're going out. There's a bucket in the back. So if you're first time back in a while, that's how we've been doing it. Um, There's a bucket right there on the back table. Put your uh, check, your cash, whatever your tithe is in that bucket as you're going out. And that's how we do that. On the 13th, we'll go back to doing it normal, all right? So with that, let me go ahead and pray, pray for the offering, pray for our message as we get ready to dive in. So Father, we thank you for um, your loving kindness to us. Thank you that Jesus Christ reigns forever. Father, um, your word tells us that Jesus is the first and the last. He is the great I am. Um, he is Jehovah. He is God. And... Um, But thank you that he became man for our benefit and he became a sacrifice for our sin. And we just praise you for that. Thank you, God, that we can be in your house today. We just pray as we continue to give that you will just continue to bless. Uh, Lord, I pray your blessing on um, every family, every individual. Uh, Lord, we continue to pray your blessing over the finances in this church. Believing God for the finances for the the work that we're doing on the roof and the, the remodel thanking you that you are the God of provision and you will provide all of our need according to your glorious riches in Christ. And now, Lord, as we begin to open up your word, we pray that the word of God, which is a double-edged sword sharper than a double-edged sword, um, will cut deep into our hearts. Um, Lord, I pray your word would change minds today, would convict hearts today, challenge wills today. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to not just um, hear with our ears, but to hear with our heart, to hear deeply, um, as we will see what the Spirit of the Lord has to say for the churches today. And we thank you, Father, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you would, open up a Bible to Revelation chapter 2. We are in a seven-week series entitled Letters to the Church. And we started this last week, and we are... In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and uh, Revelation overall is, is the Apostle John has a vision of heaven. He has been given a vision of end time events. He's been given a vision of the final judgment. That's the majority of Revelation. But in chapters one, two, and three, it's John having a revelation of the glory of Christ. He, he sees Jesus not like he did when he was alive. He is seeing Jesus in all of his glory. And in fact, when you read chapter one, it says that he saw Jesus in his glory and he fell over as dead. He passed out. He was like, this is just too much. And down he goes, okay? He sees the glory of Christ, but not only does he see Christ, He talks with them and Jesus begins to communicate to John what he needs to tell seven churches in John's time. And so Jesus begins to tell John to write some things down because John is going to be uh, the communicator to the churches. And there's seven churches in what was known back in John's time as Asia Minor, which we know today as modern day Turkey. And so there were these seven churches that Jesus, and, and we don't know why Jesus has selected these seven churches. How many of you know um, Jesus is Jesus and he can do what he wants? All right. So he selected seven churches and he is writing, he's telling, he's, he's speaking to John and John is writing them down. And these become seven letters to seven churches. Last week we looked at the church in a city called Smyrna. And today we're looking at the church in a city called Ephesus. And so if you're with me there in chapter 2, let me read our text, and then we'll dive into this thing. So it says in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will, grant, I, will grant, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray your blessing on it now. As we open it up, let us have ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Here's the first thing that we are looking at. And as I said, um, what we, even though it's called Letters to the Churches, as I've said last week, we want to take what Jesus said to these churches, bridge the truth, and say, okay, how does it apply to us today? Because it's not about just reading that and go, well, that was good for them, but it's not good for us. How many of you know that doesn't work? Okay, We still have to apply it. So, the, so it's Letters to these churches, but what do we need to know today. And that's what we need to ask. What do we need to know? So here's what we're looking at of what we need to know from the church in Ephesus. And here's the first thing. We need to know Jesus is continually in control and present. Jesus is continually in control and is present. So again, there in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, to the angel... Now remember, last week I said that angel isn't, he, he's going to refer to seven angels in the seven churches, in the seven letters. And the angel isn't a literal angel. Um, the word angel can be translated in, in Greek as, uh, as messenger. And so more than likely, Jesus isn't speaking to a literal, literal angel, but he's speaking to a messenger, and the messenger that he's speaking to would probably be uh, the pastor or the elders of the church. Because he's speaking to the church. So he's probably speaking to the messenger, to the leadership of the church. And he's talking to, these, to, the, to the pastor, to the elders, saying, Here's what I have to say to you that you have to communicate to the church. And so he's saying to the angel, the messenger, to the pastor, to the elders of the church in Ephesus, now, for you and me, when we hear to the church in Ephesus, that's good. Let's move on. Well, how about a little back, back, bit of background about Ephesus, okay? Just so we can get some, you know, cultural context, so we can get some context of why, what, what, what this is important. So Ephesus, like I said, is, was in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Um, if you re- research it, you'll, there are actual ruins in present-day Turkey of Ephesus, Okay. And so Ephesus was actually considered probably the most important and greatest city in Asia Minor. In fact, one Roman uh, writer, because Ephesus was a Roman um, a, a Roman uh, city, one Roman writer wrote even that Ephesus, Ephesus was considered the light of Asia. Okay, now when you hear Asia, don't think of Japan and Asia like... It's Asia Minor, okay? It's modern-day Turkey. So this Roman writer was like, man, it was the light of this place. It was a very wealthy city because um, Ephesus was actually a port city on the Aegean Sea on the coast of of modern-day Turkey. And so it, it would have had a lot of ships coming into it. It was a very wealthy city. People had all kinds of money. Kind of sounds like America, all right? Very wealthy. And, and so it had a lot going on there. It was also known for its political impact in the Roman Empire, all right? It was also known for its worship of, of false and pagan gods. In fact, in the city of Ephesus, the largest known temple of that day was built in that city to the, to the goddess of Diana. And so Ephesus was a very important city of Asia Minor, one of the most important cities. And even when it comes to the church itself, Paul, you can read about Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, but you have to go back to the book of Acts when the apostle Paul was on his missionary journeys and he was going through Asia Minor and he's planting these churches. He comes to Ephesus, he meets some disciples and he he like, okay, let's get busy. And he plants a church in Ephesus and Paul spent more time in Ephesus than any other church that he planted. He had such a close relationship with the elders of that church that he gives them a strong warning about what what will happen to take place. Paul had a strong relationship with this church. So the church in Ephesus was a very important church. So Jesus is writing to this church. And he goes on and he says, the words of him. Uh, the words of him is, who is he talking about here? Jesus. Jesus is talking about himself. He's like, the words of him, meaning me. He says, um, you're, I better put my glasses on. I thought I could read it. I can't. He says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. Now, notice he says the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are actually the seven angels, and the the golden lampstands are the seven churches. And the reason why you know that is if you go to chapter 1 and read verse 20, it actually says that. Okay? So there's there's no, wow, how did Jim find that out? Because it already says it. Okay? It doesn't take a... You can do this. You can get up here and preach this stuff, okay? So the seven churches, so the seven stars are the seven angels or the messengers or the pastor's elders. So he says, I, I, I've got the seven pastors in my right hand, but I'm also walking among the, the golden lampstands. And the golden lampstands were the seven churches. Okay, now, that word lampstand is important to understand. When it talks about the golden lampstand, Jesus is referring to the golden lampstand that, hey, when I when I preached in the book of Exodus and I talked about the golden lampstand, where was the golden lampstand put? Where? In the tabernacle It was in the tabernacle. It was in the holy place in the tabernacle. Now, you remember when I preached on Exodus, they built the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle, they didn't have windows. So the curtains would have been closed. What would have been the tabernacle been like? Very dark. So the lampstand had one purpose. What was it? Light. To produce light in darkness. So Jesus calls the churches what? Lampstands. And so what's the purpose of the church? produce light in darkness. The church is to be the light in a dark world. And Jesus tells us that even. He says, listen, he goes, let your light shine before men so they can see your good works and give glory to the Father. We are to be the light of the world. And so Jesus is talking about this. But I want you to notice two things here. First, you notice he says he holds the seven stars. He's holding the pastors. So when I think of he's holding the pastor, he's holding the pastors in the church in his right hand. That tells us three things. It, 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 when he talks about holding, okay, and right hand, that, that, that really tells us three things. It, it, it tells us um, strength, power, and authority, okay? And so when it talks about when, so, so think about Jesus holding on to these stars, the, the, the messengers, holding on to the church, holding on to you. He's saying, I've got this thing. I've got these pastors and these elders. I am holding on to them. And so what that tells us is that um, the church, the, the leadership is um, strong and securely held on to. And nothing that the enemy brings at us can succeed. Even Jesus tells us this in the book of Matthew. He tells Peter, he says, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build something. Do you remember what he said? I'm going to build my church and all of hell will not prevail against it. And so when Jesus says that, when he says all of hell will not prevail against it, it doesn't mean that hell is not coming against it. Okay. Satan is going to do whatever he can to come against me and the elders. He's going to come against this church. He's coming against you. But Jesus says, I'm telling you, I've got this thing and I'm holding on to it. And it is safe and it is secure and everything the enemy brings at it, it's not going to succeed. That's how you got to also look at your life as an individual. Corporately, I believe Jesus is holding the church together. But how about your life individually? Do you know that Jesus is holding you in, your, in his hand? Look at this scripture from Isaiah chapter 41. My allergies are just kicking me. Isaiah 41 says this, fear not for I am with you. I I love that. God is speaking here to the nation of Israel and he's like, fear not. How many of you know um, that's not a suggestion? He's like, fear not for I am with you. So you and I can read that and go, um, hey, when I'm in the storm, fear not. When I'm in the trial, fear not. When I'm going through it, fear not. Okay? Why? Why should I not fear? Why don't I have anything to fear? And God says it, for I am with you. I'm with you. And we've studied this over the past few weeks when we were going through the Hope That Heals series. He's with us. He's not leaving us, abandoning us, forsaking us, walking out on us, nothing. He is with us. Through the thick, through the thin, on the mountain, in the valley, he is with us. But he goes on. He says, be not dismayed. Meaning, man, don't be anxious. Don't be worrying. Don't be stressed. Don't be like freaking out. And he gives us the other answer. Why? Don't be dismayed for why. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, God is trying to always tell us, hey, listen, in life, you're going through it. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have storms. You're going to have trials. Life is going to get very hard and difficult. And there will be times where you're going through a season of storms, and you come into, out of it right into another one. But God is always constantly reminding us, fear not, and do not be dismayed. And the reason why is because he is with us and he is our God. He is our strength. He is our source. He is our refuge. And he is holding us in his mighty right hand. And that's what you and I, every day of our life, no matter what we're going through, need to constantly remember. And just the same as this church, he's holding it. But here's the other thing about um, Jesus holding, all right, is this of authority. Not only is is the fact that we are, him holding us in his right hand displays power and strength, but it also displays authority and sovereignty. His right hand. The right hand of God is always displayed as a power, but it also is displayed as authority, In the New Testament, you're going to read something about the lordship of Christ, okay? We in the Bible, we spell, our English translations spell the word Lord two different ways. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that, when you read it, is the the personal name of God, Yahweh, the great I am, the creator one, the, the king of kings. He's like up here. But when you read capital L lowercase O, lowercase R, lowercase D, Lord, that is saying that Jesus is in control. That he is the authority. So when Paul writes about saying, hey, when you confess Christ as Savior and Lord, you shall be saved. You see, there's a lot of people that say, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not Lord because I'm in control of my life. This is my money. This is my job. This is my family. And I get to do what I want. No, 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 no. If Jesus is Lord, if he's Lord of this church, then guess what the elders and I are doing? Jesus, this is your church. It's not mine. It's not the elders. Now, does that mean that the elders and I just kick back and we just drink our Pepsis and eat our Cheetos and go, well, whatever God wants. No, we still lead. We still have to do. We still have to be pastor elders. But here's the thing. I can't sit there and go, hey, Jesus, you know what? Um, we should be 500 people right now. We should be having an impact, a greater impact. Why are we not there? Why are you not moving? Because it's his church. If he wants us to be 500, 1,000, 15,000 people, guess what he would do? It would happen. But if he says, nope, I want you at 150 people for a purpose and for a reason, he'll keep us at 150 people. But that doesn't mean we don't stop doing and working. It's his church. Guess what your life is? His. See, a lot of people live our lives with closed fists. Meaning, I dare you, Jesus, to take something out of it. When we need to live our life with open hands. Because when we live our life with an open hand, what we're saying is, my family, my money, my job, my health, everything about my life is yours, Jesus, to do with what you want to do. Because you are Lord. You have ultimate authority over my life. And whatever it is you want to do, I'm okay with that. Can you be at that place? And if you're not at that place, you need to figure out how do you get to that place. Because I'm going to be honest with you. If Jesus can't be Lord of your life, life is going to be hard. Because every time something bad happens in your life, you will become angry at God. Because he's not Lord. But when you can rest in the fact that he is Lord, and nothing in your life belongs to you. And I've already said it, the lungs in your breath is a gift. And God can say at any moment, I need my breath back. And it's gone. Why? Because he's Lord. He's the one who is sovereign. But also notice in that text, so he holds things, but also notice it says he walks among the golden lampstands. He walks amongst the churches. And what he's referring to there is that his spirit is moving in and out of the churches. Here's what you and I need to understand. Nothing we do apart from Christ means anything. Because now when when Jesus see Jesus tells us in the book of John he says I'm the vine I'm, I'm the vine you're the branches apart from me you can do nothing. Now when he says apart from me you can do nothing he's talking a spiritual sense. Because if you and I try to do spiritual things in the flesh Guess what you're going to do every single time? Fail. Because you, we can work from the flesh, but it will have no great spiritual impact. We'll have no spiritual effectiveness. But when we realize, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that the church <coughs> is where the Spirit of God dwells, that means that the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of Christ is in this place, that He needs to work. Because I'm telling you, from the flesh, minds aren't going to be changed. Hearts aren't going to be convicted, and wills will not be challenged. The only way a heart, a mind is changed is when the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God. When a heart is convicted, it's because the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God. And when a a will is challenged... Is because the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God. And that person is hearing the Word of God in such a way that it's affecting the mind, affecting the heart, and affecting the will. And the only way those change is the Spirit of God doing it. So whether we, it's we as a church corporately or you as an individual, the only way you do anything effectively for Christ is by the Spirit of Christ. He's got to be walking in this place. He's got to be walking in your family, walking in your life. Listen, if you want to be a better witness, it isn't going to be because, wow, I just got to be too sexy for my shirt and I'll be a better witness. No, you become a better witness when you start saying, Jesus, you got to help me. Before you walk into your job, say a prayer in your car. Holy Spirit, help me be a witness at my job today. Give me me words to say and he will move through you. You, you, you teach a small group, you know, we're, we're going to start doing Sunday school, and I'm gonna, I'll be talking about that next week, but maybe you're teaching kids, or you're helping with, with youth ministry. Hey, do you know how you, you teach, a, teach a child the Word of God? Not in who you are. It's the Holy Spirit working through you, and you may be at a place you're like, oh, I couldn't teach a kid. I couldn't lead a small group. Who am I? You're nobody, but with the Spirit of God on you, you can be extraordinary, and you got to have the Spirit of God working. And so you and I, whether it's an individual for our family or the church corporately, we need Christ walking in this place, the Spirit of God moving in this place. And so the first thing Jesus tells us is that he is continually in control and he's present. Here's the second thing. Jesus is intimately acquainted with all that we do. He is intimately acquainted with all we do. So, there in verse two, he begins by two little words I know. I know. How many of you know Jesus isn't like caught off guard ever? All right? There's nothing in your life, there's nothing going on in your family, there's nothing going on in this church that Jesus does not know. He knows all, he hears all, he sees all. He knows everything that's happening in his his saints' lives and in his church. He knows it all. And that's what he begins with this church in Ephesus. He's he's now beginning to tell them, I am so acquainted personally with what you guys are doing. I see it all. And now what Jesus begins to do is he begins to commend the church for what they're doing. And he commends them in four different ways. And here are the four things that Jesus commends this church for. And and these are not going to be on on the screen, but if you want to just jot these down. Here's one thing that Jesus commends this church for. It's a serving church. The church of Ephesus was a serving church. So right there in the beginning, he says, I know your works. Some of you may have a version that says, I know your deeds. But what Jesus is saying here, he's like... You people are working for me. You're serving. You're doing. You're active, man. You're you're, you're like, you're not just sitting on the sideline. No, no, no. You're working for me. And Jesus is like, I see it. I know it. And he's commending them for it. He's like, man, you're, you're, you're getting it done. You're working for me. And you want to know something? It's got to be the same for you and me. How many of you know Jesus sees what all of us are doing in this church? He knows whether you're serving in this church or not. Okay, I'm going to start stepping on toes. This is, last week's message was great because there was no, negative, no nothing negative in it. Um, this church is different. He's commending these people for what they're doing. And, and and, and, And he sees everybody in the church, what they're doing. And guess so, guess what? He sees you too. He sees what you're doing in this church. Are you a server or a sitter? And what I mean is, hey, do you view this place as, man, this is to work and to serve and to help and to get involved, or no, I just come in and sit down, hear the message, that was great, and then I go back home. Jesus sees it. He knows it. Let's be like the church of Ephesus. Where man, we're all engaged in this thing. We're serving. We're working. But Jesus goes on. He says, I know your works and your toil. Some of you may have a version instead of the word toil. It says labor. Now the word toil or labor refers to doing something to the point of exhaustion. These people paid a price to serve Christ. They sacrificed themselves. They sacrificed their their time their talent and their treasure in order to build the church, to serve the church, to build up the body of Christ. These people did it to the point they toiled, they labored to the point of exhaustion. Think about that for a moment. When was the last time that you just served in the church to where you're just like, oh, I'm tired? That's where these people were. And Jesus says, I see that. I see how you're serving. I see your labor. I see your toil. I see your sacrifice. And he's commending them for it. See, this is important for you and I to understand. Working for Christ, serving Christ, edifying and building up the church is hard work. It takes labor. It takes people toiling. It takes people willing to sacrifice. It takes people to to grasp this thing and go. I, I got. I, how am I sacrificing? Am I sacrificing my time, my treasure, and my talent? You see, and this is where we all have got to understand this. Serving the church, pouring yourself out for the church and toiling for it and sacrificing for it isn't just for a handful of people. It's got to be everybody. Like I've said before, like when, we, when I, I talked about the, the, the um, raising funds for the, the, the project we have to do. On the roof in the back area, one of the things I said, ago, it's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. And it's the same with serving. We all don't serve the same capacity. We all serve in different capacities, in different ministries. But it's not about where I serve, but how I serve. How am I, are we all equally sacrificing somewhere? Are we all doing something? That's what it's about. Next week. After, after um, the message, we are going to hold a ministry fair. Because here's what you all need to understand. We as a church, like all churches pretty much, have been in limbo for a year. Okay? And so, if you can imagine when a church, like, like when a new church plants, it takes everything from everyone to get it going. And we basically are relaunching a church. It's like we have had a core group in this church for the past 11 months. And guess what? It's time. It's time to launch again. It's time for ministry. We haven't had ministry up and running. Maybe a couple things. But it's time for all the ministries to whoo, to to fire again. And so guess what? If we're going to be an engine firing again, we can't just have one or two cylinders going. we got to have all the cylinders pumping. And all the and how, guess how that happens? Everyone's sacrificing. We all got to be engaged in this thing. So we're going to have a ministry fair with every ministry out there. And it's going to take all of us getting, going through those tables and saying, where can I fit in? Where's my place? Where do I serve? Where do... How do I toil and labor in this church? For those of you at home, this is for you. Some of you are going to have to sacrifice convenience and being comfortable sitting at home watching online. That, Because if that's something we have done for the past year, how easy is it to become comfortable at home? How easy is it to be, well, that's just convenient. It's so easy just to flip on Facebook, watch, get the script. Those of you at home, if you can get out, you need to be here. Because next week, we need people signing up for ministry. We need ushers and greeters and coffee vine. We need children's workers again. Man, we need, we, need, we need ministry going. And it's going to take all of us to do this. And Jesus is commending this church because he, he was like, man, you all aren't just sitting, sitting in, the, in, the, in the crowd. Man, you're engaged as the core. They were a serving church. They were a sacrificing church. Here's the third thing about this church they were a suffering, steadfast church. They were a suffering, steadfast church. He says, I know your works. I know your toil. And then he says, and I know your patient endurance. Look at verse 3. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. When Jesus talks about... um, being patient and and patient endurance some of you may have a version that says persevering he's talking about the fact that they have continued to serve and toil and not quit under great pressure because we have to remember again when we read about the book of the church of Ephesus we don't we just kind of just like buzz right past it we have to remember this church in this time would have been going through great suffering Because in this time, in the early years of the church, Christians were hated. They would have been tortured, imprisoned, killed. They would have lost their jobs, their family, their friends, their status in the community. They had nothing. The only thing the church had was themselves. And they sacrificed for one another. They served one another. They helped one another. They gave to one another because that's all they had. And Jesus is saying, look, I see your patient endurance. I see your perseverance. You're, you're hanging in there. And he's like, man, you're doing this for my sake. He, he's, like, he's like, you're doing this because of who I am. And you notice he says, and you're not growing weary. Meaning you're not getting discouraged. You're not giving up. You're not quitting. You're still in there. You're, you're suffering. You're, 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 I sit and go, how many of these people had friends killed? How many of these people had family members killed? How many of these people were poor? Just like we saw in the church of Smyrna. How many people of these Christians had nothing? But one thing they had was to get after it. They had a perseverance. They had a patient endurance. They weren't quitting. They weren't giving up. They were serving. They were building the church. They were working for Christ despite what was going on in their lives. Now, here's the thing about I think the American church and today, we Christians feel, you know what? It's time for me to take a break. I've been to church for four weeks in a row. It's time for a break. I've got some things going on in my life. I need a break. And what we do is we pull out of everything. We stop serving. We stop coming to church. We stop going to group. We just pull out and we suck into our own little world. Can I tell you, you'll never find anywhere in the New Testament where we are told to take a break. Never. No matter what's going on in your life. But Jim, you don't understand. I mean, I, I, I'm, we're, we're having some health crisis. You won't find. Take a break. Jesus is commending this church because in their suffering, they're still serving. In their suffering, in their pain, in their hurt, man, they see the church and they're stepping into it, not stepping out of it. They're not taking a break. They're like, you know what? I'll get a break. When when I finally die, I'll get a break because that's when I get to heaven. But while I'm this side of heaven, I'm not breaking. I'm pursuing, and I'm going to keep going. And we as a church, I know some of you have gone through it. And you're still going through it. But we can't take a break. We still need to serve. We still need to toil. We need to endure patiently. And we do it for the name of Christ. Christ. And we don't grow weary. We keep persevering. We keep pressing in. We keep moving on. And in the power, that's why we need Jesus in this place. Because in my weakness, he told Paul, in, my, in your weakness, I'm made, made strong because of who Christ is in me. And I need the spirit of God in me, working through me for his glory. So that way I can continue on and keep building the church. So the church was a serving church, a sacrificing church. It was a suffering, steadfast church. And then lastly, it was a scrutinizing church. So he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. And then he goes on and Jesus says to this church, he goes, I also know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So there were people coming into the church Saying, hey, I'm an apostle of Christ. And an apostle of Christ was a a leader that was like the head of the church at that time. Okay? You had apostles. You had elders. And someone who claimed to be an apostle, it, it was like you took notice of that. And you listened to them. Because they were an ultimate authority. And so you had these people coming into the church going, hey, I'm an apostle. And so that makes me an authoritative teacher. And so you had these people going, hey, look at me. I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher. So let me teach. Let me, let me have authority in the church. And what was happening was as these people began to like, push their like, so-called apostle gift forward and begin to teach, the leaders of the church stepped back and went, you're false. Your teaching is bad. You're not an apostle because there were requirements to be an apostle. And they knew it. And they weren't putting up with it. And Jesus is commending the leadership for not allowing people to do this in the church. You see, I believe these elders and pastors of this church were remembering the words that Paul told them in the book of Acts chapter 20 years before. You see, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was getting ready to leave after three years, he was was having his final final get-together with the elders of the church, and he says this to them. He says, I'm telling you guys, you need to be so aware of this that there are going to be men coming into the church that will be like wolves attacking the sheep. And he says, and even among your own people, there will be men rising up, teaching deceptive things to lead people away. And he goes, you need to be aware of that and be on it. And here they are. The leadership of this church is seeing these false apostles, these false teachers, and they're not putting up with it. Like he says, he says, I see you cannot bear with these people. Basically, they've kicked them to the curb. He's like, you're not going to be in this church. Get out. Because what you're doing is evil. Even if you look at verse 6. He says, yet this you have, so this is another commendation. He says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, so apparently what these Nicolaitans were doing, um, Jesus is like, how many know Jesus is love? And he's like, I hate this. For Jesus to say he hates something, how many of you know that's not a small thing? So the question is, is who were these Nicolaitans? Well, the reality is the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about them. We're going to see him again here in chapter 2 of Revelation in the church of Pergamum. But we don't know a lot. But we can get an idea of, about who these people were. For example, the, the, just even the, the name Nicolation, we get an idea of who they were. The, word, the name Nicolation actually comes from a root word, Nic, Nicolas, which means one who conquers people. These Nicolations, apparently what their desire was, was to go into churches and their desire was, they wanted to be the authority. They wanted to teach in such a way where people would turn their, their focus from the pastor, the elders as their authority, to their authority. They, these Nicolaitans, wanted to go into churches and to like, like lord it over the people. Teach in such a way where they could lead people astray. They wanted to get people to not listen to the real authority, but to listen to their false authority. And so these Nicolaitans, they did not want to submit to the authority of the church. They wanted to be their own authority. And they wanted to rule over the people. And the elders and the pastors of this church were like, no, it's not happening. You need to get out. And Jesus is commending the leadership of this church for doing that. He's like, that is huge. Because you cannot have people in the church that are going to undermine the leadership of the church. You can't have people in the church teaching bad things in the church. You can't have people in the church causing division in the church. And if that is happening, you have got to face it, deal with it, and handle it very quickly. Because all that is going to do is destroy the church. And Jesus is saying, you guys were a scrutinizing church. And you weren't letting this just go by the wayside. You dealt with it and you wouldn't bear with it. You see, Jesus is commending this church and he knows exactly what's going on. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's like, this is what's getting We got to get after it. Here's the third thing. Is it really 1117? Have I been yakking that long? Okay, I got to really speed up, don't I? Because I'm just like, I'm in my own little world up here. So are you, go, are you all good with me still? Okay. So if you give me a thumbs up, if you're okay still, okay. Here's the third thing. I'm going to move. I'm going to move. So now the third thing is this. Jesus commends for lots of works, but condemns for loss of love. He commends for their work, but he condemns them for the loss of their love. So he's just commended them. He knows their works, their toil, their patience, endurance, how they dealt with people coming in to divide the church. He's commending them. But then you get to verse 4. He says, but. You know, that's not a good place to go. He's like, man, I, I, I commend you. you you're, you're like this, and you're doing this, you're doing this, but. How many of you know um, that but goes nowhere fast? It's kind of like, hey, you remember when you were dating, and um, your boyfriend or girlfriend comes to you, and you're like, you're such a great person. I love spending time with you. You make me laugh, but. You're like, okay, just stop right there. I, we don't need to go anywhere. I, I know where you're going, Okay. You're bringing bringing the hammer down. Jesus is bringing the hammer down now on this church. He's commended them, but he goes, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. The New American Standard Bible, New King James Version says you have left your first love. The New International Version says you have forsaken the love you had at first. So you have this church doing it all. Man, they're working hard, they're toiling, they're sacrificing, they're dealing with division in the church, and Jesus commended them, but, but something's wrong with them. And, and one would think, all of the good things that are happening, this church was spot on, they had it going on. But Jesus, how many of you know, doesn't just look at the surface, he looks what's underneath too. And Jesus is like, yeah, you've got all this stuff going on, you, you've, got, you've got full heads and busy feet, but you're missing something. And he says, the thing that you're missing is the love you had at first. And he says, that I have to condemn you on. Because how many of you know, you can work really hard and not do it out of love. And that's what was wrong with these people. They were working and they were toiling. They were sacrificing. They were doing it all. But they were doing it for the wrong motivation. I believe they were doing it for themselves. Now, here's the thing. Every commentary that I read throughout this week, the idea of of the the love they left, the love they abandoned. Every commentary said that it was they abandoned the love of Christ, that they stopped loving Christ. And I I don't know if you guys can tell my notes. I got a lot of scribble marks in my my notes today. Because yesterday, as Paul and I, we drove to Des Moines, we were listening to this message. And this woman kept talking about... um, radiating the glory of Christ and I started thinking about my message and I just was pondering at it and, and I started and I went wait a minute and I said you know and I told Paul of this I said I go you know the every commentary says that they left the love of Christ that they stopped loving Christ but I sit and go if I don't love someone am I going to pour my life out for that person if I don't love you am I going to sacrifice my time for you If I don't love you, am I going to serve you? More than likely not. Jesus tells this church, he goes, you're doing all of this for my name's sake. He's like, you're doing it for me. Here's what I believe they lost. They didn't lose their love for Christ. They lost their love for people, specifically lost people. I believe they got so, after years of being a church, they went from be implanted to, man, look at all these lost people around us. Man, we need to reach them. We need to evangelize to them. We need to witness to them. They need Jesus Christ. And they saw these people coming into the church and they began growing them. And then all of a sudden they were serving and toiling for each other. Their eyes became blind to the lost around them. They were no longer, they lost their love for lost people. And that's why If you even look in the text, look down in verse seven, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, the end of verse five, Jesus talking about repenting and coming back. And he says, if you will not repent, he goes, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Like I said, the lampstand, the church is to radiate light to the dark. And Jesus is like, listen, if you're not going to radiate light to the dark anymore, if you're not going to be a light for me, then I will not use you as a light. I will remove that lampstand from the city and I will use other lamps. You see, their light of Christ was not shining from them anymore. They were not concerned about lost people anymore. They were not concerned about sharing their faith with people anymore. All they were concerned about was themselves. They just wanted to build the church. They just wanted their holy huddle. They just wanted their country club. And they forgot they were supposed to be a hospital. They lost it. As a church, as a person, as a believer in Christ, guess what you cannot lose? Your love for people. Because how many of you know you can serve in the church and you can toil in the church, you can sacrifice for the church and still not love people? You can still not love people who don't know Christ. Man, how many of you know um, people who don't know Christ, their lives are, are dark, it's ugly. And sometimes it's easy. We've been Christians for 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years. And man, we get so inoculated. We got the vaccine. And what happens is we forget what it's like to be dead in sin. We forget what it means to be a sinner. We forget what it means to have no love for Christ and no love for God. We don't care about the church. We forget that because we've been so used to the church. And guess what we forget to do? To share the love of Christ with those who need Jesus. And Jesus is condemning this church for losing that love. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so we have got to ask, where am I at when it comes to lost people? And if I find myself losing my love for lost people, here's the fourth and final thing we got to do. The fourth and final thing we need to know is that Jesus instructs us to recall, repent, and return to him. Recall, repent, and return to him. Jesus says, he says in verse 5, Remember therefore where you have fallen. Meaning, hey, do you remember where you used to be? You remember what I did for you? You remember everything that I did on that cross? You need to get back to that and recall that thing. He says remember therefore where you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first if not i will come to you and remove your lampstand from you unless you repent He's like man you got to recall what i've done for you recall where you were and repent and do the works you did at first You see he they were already doing works but not the works they did at first. Meaning when they were first a Christian, when they were first a church, they were about witnessing the people. They were about sharing their faith. They were about inviting people to the church. They were like, man, this is what we got to get after. But now after years of being a believer, they lost that. Now they're just doing works for work's sake. But they're missing the biggest work. And that is what Jesus came to do, to seek and save the lost. Church, we got to be about the same thing. If you find yourself at a place, hey, let me ask you, when was the last time you shared your faith with someone? When was the last time you witnessed to someone? When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was that last time? I'm telling you, if you can't remember, you've lost the works that you used to do because I'm sure some of you were fired up at one time about talking to people about Jesus. You invited people to church, but I have a sneaky feeling some of you have grown cold in that. Your heart has grown cold, and you don't share with nobody anymore. You don't invite anybody to church. You've got family members who don't know Christ, and you're not, I'm not talking to them. You've got coworkers who don't know Christ. I'm not talking to them. Man, we got to get busy again. There are lost people all around us in Woodhall, Alpha, Orion, Gelsberg, Watauga, Oneida, wherever you live, there's lost people. There's lost people you work with, lost people in your family. The question is do you have a love for them? If not, you need to repent and you need to get back to Christ. Because I'm telling you, you get back to Christ and love what he loves, guess what you're loving? Lost people. So I'm going to pray. If you just... I'm just going to sing this over them. Just sing over them while, while I pray. Just close your eyes for me. Examine your heart right now. Have you lost that first love Have you lost that love for lost people? I mean, you're fired up about serving in the church, you're fired up about working and toiling, you sacrifice. you give money, but when, what about lost people? And I am not standing up here like like it doesn't, no, God's working my heart all week on this. I've gotta also get back to loving lost people. It's just too easy to be part of our holy huddle, our little culture, you know, this is our country club, we're good to go. No, we need to be that hospital again. Who's in your life? Maybe it's a spouse, a child, a parent, a coworker. Who's in your life that you know that doesn't know Christ? And who do you need to start trying to witness to? Inviting them to church, sharing your faith with them. Get back to the love of Christ and the love of lost people. So Father, I I pray that your word is just bringing conviction upon us. Changing our mind, convicting our heart, challenging our will right now. And God, I just pray that you would just help us to see lost people. Help us just to get back to that place where we we get back to the works that we once did. Get us back to loving people, loving lost people, God. Father, we want that for your glory, Jesus. I pray that we would be a church that you would commend. Lord, we don't want this lampstand removed. We want to be the light of the world, the light of Western Illinois. And help us to do that, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name.